Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. In the squadron, they called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Testing, testing, uh, testing. Um, man, I'm looking at Jack Smith right now. What a weird, maniacal, strange guy. Uh, he is, he was chosen for a reason though. He, he's not afraid to try to illegalize, uh, the political, illegalize, uh, speech, illegalize common political practice. That was a very aggressive, bold thing they did back in uh, in 2014 when they went after McDonald, the governor. If they had succeeded there, and they did up until it got to the Supreme Court, overwhelmingly eight to zero. That is humiliating. Humiliating. At that point, he should have uh, he should have retired from the law. I mean, instead they kicked him over to Tennessee. You don't go from Washington D.C. to Tennessee. That's not a promotion. They told him to go to Tennessee, and then they then they sent him to the Netherlands. I think they kept him around because they knew they could use a guy like this. They knew that they could unleash somebody like this to go after. They never knew when they would need it. Now they need it. They can't find anything legitimate on Trump. If they had something legitimate, if Donald Trump had committed the crime, if he were a criminal, I wouldn't support him. I wouldn't. Now I got to tell you, I am the most enthusiastic, diehard, MAGA guy, Trump supporter Around one of them, I know there are millions like me. Um, we know him, we trust him, we can see a phony case. This is a phony case, absolutely. And we know a real one when we see one, we know real evidence, and we know when we're being well, we don't always know when we're being lied to, but with with Joe Biden, <laughs> I mean, come on, we got it. We when we first met him back in 1987, he got busted for cheating at speeches, copying lines. And lying about everything from where he went to college to the jobs he had. Now he's lying about Bo Biden in Iraq and all. And he got shot at in Iraq. Joe Biden did everything every, whenever he opens his mouth. And as my good friend Mark Halperin told me, he's like, he definitely is lying about the business arrangements with his brother and with his family. Why is he lying? That's what Mark wants to know. And that's what I, well, I, I'm a little bit further along than Mark. So they confronted him, uh, I guess, at the White House just a little while ago with uh, the latest about, well, where do you begin? I mean, the House Oversight Committee has come up with so much evidence. Uh, he's getting money from his son. We know that from Owasco. The Owasco uh, LLC got the money from China. We know that. I know it also from not just the Oversight Committee. I know it from Hunter's own lawyers. The money was coming into Owasco from the Ukrainian energy firm Burisma. And something called Bohai Harvest, this huge uh, Chinese uh, conglomerate that was desperate to do business with Hunter, because if you compromise Hunter, you compromise the old man. And he got uh, well. He was asked about this today, and uh, he can I hear it, please? Can you explain to the Americans 
uh, to Americans submit this impeachment inquiry, why you interacted with so many of your son and brother's foreign business associates? I'm not going to comment that I did not, and it's just a bunch of lies. You didn't interact with many of their lies. business associates? I did not. There's what? lies. <laughs> hey, make up your mind. You're not going to comment? Or you, he said, I'm not going to comment. And then he said, I did not interact. And then he said, they're lies. I'm not going to comment. I'm not. Huh. I want to hear that one more time. Let's take it from the top. Can you explain to the Americans, uh, to Americans, admit this impeachment inquiry, why you interacted with so many of your son and brother's foreign business associates? I'm not going to comment that I did not. And it's just a bunch of lies. You didn't interact with many of their lies. business associates? I did not. There's what? lies. What's well, it's it's not a lie. Let's go into the question itself. Why did you interact with your son and brother's uh, international business associates? Now, I can go to the testimony of Hunter Biden's friend uh, testifies. Devin Archer. That's his name. Devin Archer. And he's the one who said that while they're having business meetings with various folks all over the world, especially in um, uh, Ukraine, Russia, and beyond, dozens of times while they're having a business meeting, Hunter got his father on the phone, and his father would talk to anybody who was at the table. Now, Congressman Goldman tells me that's okay because they were just talking about the weather. Now, what was really happening... They were actually, you know, they say Hunter Biden didn't have a product, didn't have a skill, didn't have a service to offer. That's actually not true. He did have a he did have a product, his father and his skill, not much of a skill getting your father on the phone. His skill was getting Joe Biden on the phone. That's what he was selling. And this is what was a demonstration. I can get my father on the phone like that. And we also know from Devin Archer that there was a time when uh, something happened, something that concerned them greatly. And we believe it was the prosecutor general in Ukraine getting very aggressive about about uh, Burisma. They came to Hunter and he got his father on the phone. Devin Archer has said that he believes that happened. Devin Archer did not witness that, but he has witnessed dozens of other calls. Pleasantries, yeah, were exchanged, but the message was, look, I am your conduit. I'm, I'm not just some guy sitting here. Think about it. Think about it. What he's just a other without his father, he's just a guy. He's just some guy at a table. What can Hunter do? High on drugs, drinking, uh, strippers, all this weird stuff going on. Hey, nothing wrong with strippers, by the way. Seriously, got to back off the strippers. I don't think it's the ideal lifestyle for stripping. I don't think it is. Uh, I don't think it's particularly healthy. And I think you start to look at men as, uh, I don't know, just. Let's face it, men men don't do themselves any favors when they're at a strip club, but I don't mean to disrespect strippers. Now, prostitutes, that's a different story, all right? And prostitutes generally are totally mixed up and weird, and they got to get out of that. They got to get out of that racket, all right? Just stop doing that. But anyway, look, he was doing hookers all over the place and gambling and drinking and just out of control. Why would anybody invest or do business with him, right? It was all about the... Uh, can I hear that denial one more time? It's it, there's I gotta one more time. Can you explain to the Americans, uh, to Americans, admit this impeachment inquiry? Why you interacted with so many of your son and brother's foreign business associates? I'm not going to comment that I did not, and 
It was just a bunch of lies. Lies, lies. You know, he said that about the he said that about Hunter's laptop. He said the same thing about a Hunter's laptop. And he said it with the same edge, the same kind of attitude. She had a little bit more energy back then. That was three years ago. Lies. Lies. It's anger. This very fascinating clip I have. Actually, do me a favor. Find it, if you don't mind. It's from the night before last, a special video project I did, where I put Donald Trump's denial of wrongdoing. I juxtaposed his denials of wrongdoing, which I believe, by the way, I believe his denials, because he didn't do anything wrong, to Joe Biden's denials. And it, it goes back and forth, back and forth, a block from the night before. And um, it's amazing. Joe gets bent out of shape real fast, gets hot, and starts yelling and denying and yelling and yelling, gets anger. Trump is like, look, I took those documents. I had every right to take those documents. I, I it just, it's, it's really, really cool. Um, what do we think? Hey, what about those, ba- what about the, um, the stuff at the colleges? It was pretty good. A lot of these crazy colleges are essentially endorsing and protecting uh, anti-Semitism on campus, and they're not protecting their Jewish students. It is a disgrace. It's it is unthinkable what is happening, but it is happening. It is disgusting. It is outrageous. And I'm sorry, quite frankly. You know what? What else can I do? What can I do? How can I help? How can we help our Jewish brothers and sisters? And we got a lot of jobs. Like, how can we help our fellow human beings who are being harassed? Uh, who are being attacked, who are being discriminated against, and worse, violence for being Jewish. Uh, we went through this before as a globe. I thought it was never again, right? Never again. It's happening all over again. And after pl- pretending, this administration pretended that it was all in with Israel. And now you're on your own. Now Joe Biden has to worry about the squad, has to worry about uh, Arab uh, Arab-American voters who may be, uh, mm, some of them, not all of them certainly, but some of them suspiciously sympathetic to all the anti-Semitism. Suspiciously and actually just horrifically in favor of terrorism. In favor of it. And he wants these people to vote for him. I wouldn't want people like that voting for me. Under any circumstances, I really wouldn't. I don't, I just, uh, that's... uh, let me hear from Elise Stefanik. She is good. Cut seven. She's talking to uh, the president of MIT. Cut seven. Dr. Kornbluth, does M- at MIT, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate MIT's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment? Yes or no? If targeted at individuals not making public statements. Yes or no? Calling for the genocide of Jews does have, not constitute bullying and harassment? I have not heard calling for the genocide for Jews on our campus. But you've heard chants for intifada. I've heard chants, which can be anti-Semitic depending on the context, when calling for the elimination of the Jewish people. So those would not be according to the MIT's code of conduct or rules? That would be um, investigated of, as harassment if pervasive and severe. If pervasive and severe, what if a white supremacist got up and started using the N-word? 
How long would it take M- MIT to cancel that person? And oh, by the way, I'd be all for it. <laughs> if they were using the N-word to degrade a person of color for having that color, I think that's, uh, I think you can e- expel somebody for that at the very, right? See how they're bending over backwards to accommodate these Jew, Jew haters. They're Jew haters. Elise Stefanik. And by the way, she comes from this world. She's a Republican member of Congress from New York, and I believe she is a Harvard grad. So she knows this world. Cut eight, please. Now she's talking to uh, the president of UPenn. Cut eight. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. I am asking specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. So is your testimony that you will not answer yes? If it uh, is, if if the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? The speech is not harassment? This is unacceptable, Ms. McGill. I'm going to give you one more opportunity for the world to see your answer. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. The answer is yes. You know, I heard about this hearing. And I know there's all kinds of crazy anti-Semitism, but to hear it like that out loud, to hear them in real... to. Uh, that school is the University of Pennsylvania. Um, we have a major, major, I'm just absorbing this. Forgive me. I did not. I mean, I knew about that. They were out of touch, but I did not know it was to that extent. I feel like this is a total and complete emergency, and I quite frankly don't know. I'm gonna have something to do. I'm gonna, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta make a phone call. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And Dr. Gay at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? Targeted as an individual. Targeted as, at an individual. It's targeted yeah, at Jewish students, Jewish individuals. Do you understand your testimony is dehumanizing them? Do you understand that dehumanization is part of anti-Semitism? I will ask you one more time. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? Anti-Semitic rhetoric. When it and is it anti-Semitic con- rhetoric? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when it crosses into conduct that amounts to bullying, harassment, intimidation, 
that is actionable conduct and we do take action? So the answer is yes, that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. Oh, my God, she's so busted. I cannot believe it. I told you I was going to call the police. I certainly did. The greatest law enforcement official uh, who ever lived, in my opinion, Ray Kelly, longest-serving police commissioner in New York City history, who happens to be an expert on anti-Semitism, and also a Harvard graduate. Um, uh, Dad, that was uh, uh, Miss Gay. She is the president of Harvard University, saying it's okay, okay to call for genocide of Jewish people. I can't believe it. Yeah. How did we ever get here? Huh? It's just uh, incredible. Uh, I did a survey on anti-Semitism for uh, Mr. Ronald Lauder, who's the president of the World Jewish Congress. I did that about uh, three years ago. And I was shocked at the anti-Semitism that we found on college campuses. That, that's why, you know, what's happening now is not really a revelation to me because I saw it. Uh, and what I saw was blatant uh, man- manifestation of anti-Semitism, where uh, students students in these uh, Palestinian-supporting organizations on campus would actively harass Jewish students, Jewish organizations. They would go to their meetings if they had uh, pamphlets on the desk, they would throw the pamphlets on the floor. Incredible, uh, incredible. They would try to goad them into fights. But what do you think? What, confront them. what do you think? And, of, and the biggest complaint was, of course, the administrations did nothing about it and still do nothing about it. Uh, I, right. These these college presidents to make that acknowledge to not to handle it the way they did, to give the, all that space to anti-Semitism, anti-Semites. It is incredible. I do you think this is a pivot, a moment, though, where, you know, it's so out in the open they have been so disgraced, they have disgraced themselves, these university presidents, that this cannot hold up to public scrutiny, and this might be a turning point, at least domestically, on this issue a little bit. I, 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 as I say it, I, I, I think not, but I, I, what do you yeah. think? I, I, I certainly hope so, but I have my doubts. Well, uh, look, the media is so skewed to support these people. That you know, don't forget, we're not talking about breaking a law. We're talking right. about you can... campus regulation. Ray really? Kelly, stay with us, please. So important. I'll be right back. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Dr. Kornbluth. Does M- at MIT does calling for the genocide of Jews violate MIT's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment? Yes or no? If targeted at individuals, not making public statements. Yes or no? Calling for the genocide of Jews does have, not constitute bullying and harassment. I have not heard calling for the genocide for Jews on our campus. But you've heard chants for intifada. I've heard chants which 
can be anti-Semitic depending on the context when calling for the elimination of the Jewish people. So those would not be according to the MIT's code of conduct or rules? That would be um, investigated as harassment if pervasive and severe. This is uh, startling stuff, totally startling. The elite universities are giving space to the haters, anti-Semitism. I am shocked. My next guest, uh, well, we talked to him a moment ago, uh, continues to be our guest, is not shocked because he's been studying anti-Semitism for a long time. Ray Kelly, yes, the former police commissioner, yes, my father. And, Dad, I remember when you were studying this stuff. I remember when you were talking about it. I remember when you were involved. And I, I, I'm, I'm sorry I was not more, I mean, it seemed almost academic because I, I didn't hear it with my own ears. You know what I mean? I didn't see it. And now I'm just, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm deeply saddened. I'm shocked. And I'm wondering what I and our listeners can do, if anything. We, I know there's something we can do. Well, I mean, it's it's been uh, sort of an open secret for a while. People just haven't been talking about it. But the fact that it is being openly discussed now is is a major advancement, quite frankly. Uh, because, as I say, the issue uh, was there, but it was sort of out in plain sight. And certainly on college campuses, nothing was done about it. The administration, as I said, the complaint that the students had was they would make the administration aware of what was going on, but nothing was done. And they just looked the other way. Even the, the security people on campus, uh, you know, basically told to, nope, don't get involved. So, you know, the fact that you're talking about it and so many other people are talking about it now is uh, an important uh, advancement in my mind. Well, it is an important advancement, but you know what? I'm just adding it all up here. It's not adequate because we're talking about it. Conservative media are talking about it. A handful of very uh, effective and smart people out there, um, like Bill, I think his name is Ackman or Ackerman, the uh, the, the billionaire yeah. financier. happens to be, fun guy, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. and he's a Harvard grad. He's deeply offended and wounded by all this, and he's really leading the charge. Uh, I tell you who's quiet about it, corporate America. Uh, you know, all those people who threw tens of millions of dollars overnight at Black Lives Matter because a drug addict uh, died of a drug overdose, not the fault no. of police. Uh, you know, who else is quiet? Joe Biden this morning is quiet. I, it's it's incredible. It's 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 beyond comprehension at this moment. I am genuinely just so confused. I rate, uh, and I got to channel this in some way, some productive way. It's good that we're having the conversation. It's not nearly a big enough conversation, and I think we need legislation. We need laws. We need, I don't know. When you study this issue, what were some of your recommendations? Um, because it was rampant all over the world, especially in Europe. Now, especially here, what can be done? Well, we made specific recommendations as to specific locations in Europe, for the most part, uh, because that that's looking for something sort of more nuts and bolts, you know, and that's what we did in terms of certain locations in, in overseas countries. Our focus is primarily on anti-Semitism in Europe, which, by the way, determined from a lot of people 
that is as high there as it's ever been since uh, World War II. So this is a this is a problem on bo- both sides of the of the pond, and uh, is no easy solution. You know, I mean, anti-Semitism has been around for three thousand years. You know, we're talking about pogroms that have existed. Uh, Jews were excluded from France, from Spain, from Portugal, from England uh, at different times in history. So it, it, it's been <laughs> constant historical. Uh, harassment and certainly more than harassment uh, two centuries. Well, gr- uh, there's obviously no easy solution. I know you're looking for, you know, a couple of quick things to do, but uh, <clears throat> unfortunately, they've never been there. Well, you know, and, actually, uh, growing up in your household, I was um, in the household that you ran with mom. You made sure we understood certain things. Number one, and you know, I know you're not supposed to say, well, I have a lot of friends of like this. I have, a, we happen to have a lot of Jewish friends. Mom's best friend, Jewish, Tony. Um, we also, you had a great relationship in the Jewish community. The rabbi, uh, the grand Rebbe, Menachem Schneerson, was that his name? Yes. And, uh, yes. I, I remember the respect and the awe that you held him in. And I think he was pretty darn impressed with you. I also remember as a family when we were in Europe visiting the concentration camp, the former concentration camp at Dachau in Germany, and what like a kind of mind-blowing experience that was, the organized uh, extermination of people based on relig- – it was just – and that was, I think, when I was 14 years old – and really thinking that this is all, you know, in the past, that this is a relic, that this is so far behind. Now, well, one of the most emotional experiences I had was going to Auschwitz. Uh, when you see, you know, when you see 40,000 pairs of shoes or you see school bags, little children's school bags that are all kept there, you know, stored in a, in a sort of a glass booth, uh, you, you realize the magnitude of what they did. And, and these German soldiers, you know, they would gas people and they would you know, then go home to their families, <laughs> you know, have, have dinner. You know, uh, it's just incredible. I and mean, when the ovens didn't work there, they would use just fire, fire to burn people. Just for being Jewish, I mean, it's absolutely mind-boggling. And you know, if you don't, if you don't have a, <laughs> a very emotional moment there when you go there, there's something not totally uh, right with you. It's just, I, I, it's, just, it's hard to imagine that less than a hundred years ago, that's what happened in this world, and, and look what happened on October seventh. That uh, goes to show you that uh, <laughs> even less than people have gone away. Oh, very much there. Look and look at what happened on October seventh. You know, uh, crazed men with guns opened fire on women and children in Israel and murdered babies, and then took took women and children hostage. These are absolute barbarians, and the idea that. Anyone could possibly legitimize those tactics or question those who are fighting back in how they are fighting back. And how about this in terms of how they're fighting back? Israel gives a heads up to the enemy, probably too much of a heads up in my book, 
We're going to bomb here. We're going to do this. Get your women and children away. And I admire and respect how they want to protect the women and children. We always do. However, they are going so far out of their way that they are incurring, I believe, great risk to their military. I just am beside myself. I really, really, really am. I I don't know. It's a very strange moment. I felt this way before. And I, 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 a handful of moments, 9-11, um, quite frankly, when the uh, when Trump was raided on October, I'm sorry, August 8th of 2022 by the FBI, that was a moment where I didn't realize, I, I just couldn't fathom what was going to happen next and where we go from here. And, and now this, I, uh, well, you're good to call in with your expertise and your knowledge and um thank you dad very much um wow all right i know no neat easy answers um it's such an important issue but and i share your feeling but it's so frustrating when you you look around and see what what can be done are there any practical solutions and i have to say this I'm also optimistic, quite frankly you and you know this look I hate anti-Semitism. I hate white supremacy. But anti-Semitism is taking over the world. White supremacy in this country is a joke. If there is any white supremacists out there, right, the moment you do something illegal, you know, you, you should be arrested. But there are about four of you. And I want to ask you, if you don't mind, from your law enforcement experience, how much white supremacy did you actually have to deal with and contend with? Were you afraid of the white supremacist terrorists? Were there were there any? No, minuscule number. They were not in the New York area. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you have to – logic tells us that it, this issue is being raised for political reasons. That's the only – otherwise, we'd be seeing arrests, we'd be seeing – Cases that have been uh, certainly leaked to the New York Times. You'd see stories about it. Uh, you don't see any stories about it. <laughs> you, know, you, see, you see no no major raids being conducted on on uh, headquarters or you know camps that they run. Whatever. No, it's just not there. Yet they have the hotspot, <laughs> the nerve, the temerity to say it's the number one terrorist issue uh, facing this country. Obviously, it's not. And 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 that lie, that lie is taking up bandwidth. It's taking up resources. It's it like actual police departments actually have to have come up with programs to combat white supremacy. And it, it it's a distraction. And now we know where the real threat is. Now we have real terrorism to deal with. I mean, real terrorism. A lot of it fueled by Islamic extremism. And that takes real. They're putting Islamic extremism and, and, and white supremacy right up there together, right, right up there together. As if, well, we wish. And so many people come up to me all the time, and they say they wish you were commissioner, they wish you were mayor, and uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of nostalgia for when this city was a sane, clean, and safe place. And you're a big reason why it was safe, clean, and sane for so long. Ray Kelly, everybody. Well, thank you, Ray. You got it, sir. You Thank got you. it. Uh, right. I know what you're doing. He's doing a very special family, uh, family mission right now. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it, uh, we'll keep it vague. I have a feeling that, uh, a daughter or two, a granddaughter of, of, of yours will be involved very shortly. Have fun today, dad. And, uh, I'll All be right. right back. You bet. Bye.
Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. An American history lesson. You don't know nothing about Lady Liberty. Standing there in the hub with a torch on high, screaming out to all the nations in the world, send me your poor, your deadbeats, your filthy. <laughs> and all the nations sent them in here. They come swarming in like ants. Your Spanish PRs from the California. Your Japs, your Chinamen. Oh, boy. Achi, achi, achi. Calm down. All in the family. Created by Norman Lear. Dead at the age of 101. Wow. Norman Lear. And then there's Maud and the Jeffersons and so many other television contributions. Um, he's a great guy. He wrote a book about his life a few years ago. Can't remember what it was called, but I, I had it and I read it. Well, actually, no, I didn't read it, but I interviewed him about the book. He was such an interesting guy, very warm and upbeat. He was in his mid-90s at the time, 101 years old. Uh, let's see here. Uh, where was he Where was he from, anyway? Uh, Connecticut. And then he went to Emerson College, like a lot of communications guys do. He left uh, during college. He enlisted during World War II in the Army Air Forces, rose to technical sergeant, flew 52 missions as a radio man, most from a base near Foggia, Italy. He received an air medal. With four oak leaf clusters. Damn, I wish I knew this. After the war, millions of servicemen and women took advantage of the GI Bill of rights to attend college. But Mr. Lear decided he would not return to Emerson. With the help of an uncle who was a press agent, he got a job with the publicity firm of George and Dorothy Ross, who had many clients in theater. He lasted a year before being fired for planting one too many items that were demonstrably false. Uh, he becomes a door-to-door salesman. Uh, he works with a friend named Ed Simmons, and eventually they start to write comedy routines together. Their break came when Mr. Lear called the agent for the popular nightclub entertainer Danny Thomas, who would later become a TV star and got his home phone number by pretending to be a New York Times reporter. Mr. Thomas appreciated the boldness of the ploy. He also liked the routine the two men wrote for him and purchased it. And then he was off and running. You gotta be bold in life. Norman Lear provided so much great entertainment, including and especially all in the family with Mar- Archie Bunker and the meathead, Michael Stivick, and of course Edith, the sweetest, wisest woman in the world. I am not going to repeat the line because I'll get emotional if I repeat it, but my goodness gracious, there is a line from that show. I could be a great actor because Whenever I have to cry, I can cry. If I tell you the story, I will start crying. And it's just a summary of the episode. Oh, my gosh, it was so beautiful. The 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 height of art. And one other thing about Norman Lear for now, I actually had a very unique experience. I told you how I interviewed him for his book, but that's not the unique part. So in 1997, I am flying my Harrier jet off the coast of California, not too far off the coast. I'm practicing landing on an aircraft carrier, an LHA, right? I'm taking off, I'm landing, I'm taking off, I'm landing. And then I hear over the radio um, that we've got VIPs in the tower. VIPs. Is it a general? Is it an admiral? So I go over a discreet freak that, you know, like you can't, not everybody can hear it, but only certain people can hear it. I could talk directly to the people in the tower, but not everybody else. I'm like, who? actually, not in the tower, another another office. I'm like, who's the VIP? And they said, uh, the first thing they said was, it's, it's actually not a VIP. I'm like, well, what do you mean? It's some guy named Norman Lear and his nephew. 
And I'm like, Norman Lear? Yeah, so apparently he's a big shot, but nobody here has heard of him. <laughs> I was like, wow, Norman Lear. And I'm taking off and landing and taking off and landing, and I'm looking in the window there, and there's Norman Lear. I'm like, wow, this is really cool. I'm performing for Norman Lear. And by the time I was done with my mission and and uh, closed up the aircraft and got out of it, he had already helicoptered off. I really would have liked to have met him. But go fast forward to 2015 and his book comes out. I'm like, uh, sir, would you about 20 years ago, 18 years ago, do you remember being on a ship off the coast of San Diego and watching Harrier's Land? Yeah. I, w- I was with my nephew. Well, I was the pilot. He's like, he he had a cell phone. He dropped it. He was like so shocked. He's like, that is amazing. And it's obviously, I wasn't making it up. I mean, it was like, who would remember that, you know? And he told me all about that day and his thoughts about the plane and the experience. And he was wondering, who is this guy? Uh, anyway, beautiful, beautiful moment. Norman Lear, rest in peace. I got to come up with another epitaph other than rest in peace. It sounds like an epitaph for a cartoon mouse. I ain't going to watch them all in the family this weekend. In fact, I might binge it. Hello, Adam. Welcome back. Hello, sir. Um, you said you was talking about Jack Smith and he was a criminal. Uh, what about the guy in the house that's blocking up those pictures so nobody can see him? And they can't get arrested for the crimes they already committed. What house is and that? You say, Lord, the House of Representatives, sir. Who? Who's the criminal? I mean, there are plenty of criminals there. Who? He's blocking out. He's blocking out when he when he does the uh when he gives when he does the stuff for the January sixth committee. He does the what? I mean, the videos for the... He does the, the videos what? For the, oh, the Speaker of the House is committing a crime by releasing those videos, huh? You want him arrested? No, I'm saying he's blocking out the people so doing crime. So so he's aiding and abetting crime. Oh, give That's me a what? break, Adam. You know, you, you, you're you just... <laughs> he's aiding and abetting. The FBI already had all that stuff. They already had all that stuff. They all They have all that stuff. Aiding and abetting crime. You know who owns that security camera footage? I do, and you do. Why is it that the moment an interesting, the moment a celebrity is in something, or the moment a cop makes a mistake, 12 hours later, we all see the body cam footage. Why won't they let us see the body cam footage and the security footage, all of it from January 6th? Think about that one, Adam. Think about that, aiding and abetting. You're getting dumb on me, Adam, and I know you're better than this. You're a smart guy. You're very savvy. You know the ins and the outs. Why are you going with this fake news crap? Sandra, hello. Hi, Hi, Greg. I want you to know that Trump issued an executive order on combating anti-Semitism to enhance enforcement of Title VI of the Civil Rights Act to protect Jewish college students from the overt hatred now rampant on so many American campuses. I wonder if Biden trashed it. And also, Susan Sarandon, she apologized when the agency canceled her. So, you know, she. so maybe we have to do more canceling of bad behavior. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless Israel. 
This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.